Life is worth the living just because he lives. I don't know if you guys understand that. That changes everything. That changes the way that you view life. That changes the way you view your marriage. That changes the way you view your family. That changes the career that you're in. That changes everything once you know that your life is in the hands of an almighty God. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Once again, we want to greet all of our first-time guests. We know that you could have been anywhere else, but the fact that you are here today, we know that God has something special for you. Amen? This morning, I, I don't want to spend too long, but I do want to look at the resurrection story. I have to say, it's, it's, it's challenging every year to preach from the resurrection story and to see what is it that God is trying to say differently. Still at the foundation that Christ did resurrect, Christ did come out of the grave. But what are some things he is trying to teach his people this morning? So this morning, I want to look at Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look at verse 62, continuing on to verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 8. Matthew 27, verse 62 to chapter 28, verse 8. My, my title this morning for our message is, It's Not Over. W would you mind just telling your neighbor that it's not over? Can you tell them like you really mean it? It's not over. It's not over. Amen, amen. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen. We can share Bibles together. Verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. Verse 63 is our focus, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver, meaning Jesus, said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that, that, that the tomb be made secure until the third day lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And so, and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way and make it as secure as you know how. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Chapter 28, verse 1, continuing. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Verse 5, but the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Verse 8 ending. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples 
word. May the Lord bless this reading of scripture. May our hearts be open and our minds be receptive towards what you have to say to us, Lord, this morning as we celebrate that you are no longer in the tomb, but you're sitting by the, at the right hand of the Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you were not here last week, I want to quickly make sure that you get the cliff note version of last week's message. Because unfortunately, the message was unable to make it to the podcast due to some technical difficulties. But real quick, after the, after the service, if you can connect with someone that was here and get some more information on how, what, what we discussed in that last sermon, I believe that it will be a blessing to you. But this morning, I just briefly want to inform us and let us know what we spoke about last week. Basically, we observed Jesus walking into Jerusalem on his way to the cross, where we saw that Jesus was confronted. Jesus was met with at least three temptations. And because he said no to those temptations, he was able to fulfill the mission and the purpose of his life. So real quick, we said in order to fulfill the mission and the purpose of your life, there's at least three things of minimum that you've got to say no to. Number one, we say that you've got to say no to the expectations that other people have of you. And when you say no to other people's expectation, then you can live out the calling that is over your life. In other words, you've got to live a called life as opposed to a life of expectations. The second thing we said last week is, number two, you got to say no to the applause of others. Because people's approval, number one, is never consistent. But also, number two, neither is it a prerequisite of the evidence of God in your life. So number one, we said you got to live a called life, not in expectations. Number two, you can't live for the applause or the approval of others. And lastly, as we observe Jesus, we see that Jesus was not distracted by other people's confusion as to who he was, as to his identity. In other words, Jesus did not feel the need to confront those that were confused as to who he was and what he says. In other words, in life we have to understand that not every critic is worthy of a response. So as we looked at Jesus entering into Jerusalem, we observed his actions, we observed the events that took place during the week of Passion Week or Holy Week and how Jesus said no to these temptations and because he said no to them, he, he continued on with the mission and the vision that God had for him which was orchestrated, orchestrated by God as opposed to the Pharisees who thought that they were the ones that was pulling the strings of what was happening. And so here we are this morning as we continue where we left off. It is Friday. Friday has passed. Jesus has been crucified. His pulse is taken. And the guard looks up and has verified that he is dead. Jesus is dead. As we continue, the Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, makes a request for the Lord's body. And they prepare his body for burial. The tomb that they place Jesus in is a borrowed tomb from Joseph. One writer I was reading said that Jesus was put in a borrowed man's tomb because he did not plan on keeping it for long. So here we are in Jerusalem at this time and things seem to be settling down now that Jesus has been crucified and is being prepared for burial. Order now is being maintained in Jerusalem. Peace exists once again. The riot has been avoided. Pilate's job is secured. 
the priests now regain their privileges, things are getting back to normal. And all it took was the death of one man on the cross. And as we continue to look at the story, we're wondering where are the disciples? The disciples, they are hiding because they are afraid that this same Pilate that killed their leader would possibly come after them to try and kill them as well so that this Jesus thing, this Jesus talk would be over with. And while these disciples are thinking about that, when we look at the priests and the Pharisees, for them, their issue is not the disciples. They're not worried about that. They have something bigger that's on their mind, something that's lurking their mind that's far bigger than simply the disciples. Because for them, they know this Jesus thing is not over just because he was crucified. They remember this Jesus thing is not over just because he is dead right now. Because as you read the text, as you read the Bible, the Bible tells us that the priests and the Pharisees remember that while this Jesus was alive, he prophesied and he said that if you were to destroy this temple in three days, it will rise back up again. I will come back. I, I, I wonder if, if you can really think about what's, what's happening here. Here it is, the priests and the Pharisees, the one who wanted Jesus to be dead. They're the ones who wanted to crucify Jesus, but yet they remember what the disciples forgot. They remember that this ain't over just because he's dead. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they request a meeting with Pilate. Because they want to be certain that this rumor of resurrection, this talk of resurrection is done with. Because they really believe that if we thought we had a problem with this miracle working, water walking, water to wine, Jesus, it's only going to get worse. Once people find out that this guy, this Jesus guy, survived crucifixion, it's only going to get worse. So as we read the story of resurrection, you will see that for the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, their fear is not so much that Jesus will rise from the dead. No, they've dismissed that. They don't even see that as a possibility. But as you read the text, their fear is that the disciples will come and steal the body. This is what they are afraid of, that the disciples will come and steal the body. Think about this. Why would they be such afraid, so afraid of this? Because in stealing the body, it will set off a chain of negative events for the Pharisees. I want us to think. If the body is stolen, someone can come up and say that Jesus raised from the dead. And if someone else hears that he raised from the dead, then someone else is going to believe that he is the Messiah. He is who he's been saying he was this entire time. And the Pharisees and the priests don't want you to believe that. Don't want you to come to the conclusion that yes, he is the Messiah. Yes, he is the King of Kings. They don't want you to believe that. So they want to keep possession of this body. Because they know that this is going to get worse if word comes out that they don't have possession of this body. So they set this meeting with Pilate. And Pilate tells them, they tell Pilate that we need to seal this tomb. Pilate, we need to seal this tomb at least until Monday. 
so that we can prove that when Monday morning shows up, we still got the body. And then this Jesus thing will officially be over. All we got to do is wait from Saturday to Monday, not even Monday afternoon. We can wait till Monday morning, but it has to be Monday. If we wait till Monday, we could prove that this Jesus is a fake. So the Pharisees and the priests, they believe that if we get Pilate on our side, then that means we have Roman authority. We have Roman power. Because who would dare go against Pilate? Who would go against the Roman authority? Because if you got Pilate who has Roman authority, the body of Jesus can't go anywhere. If you got Pilate who has Roman power, no one can say that he rose from the dead. If you got Pilate with Roman authority and Roman power, no one will believe that Jesus is really the Messiah. All I need, Pilate, is 48 hours so that we could show the body on Monday morning. Then this Jesus thing would be over. No one would ever talk about it. You and I would not be here today if we could just prove to Monday morning. So Pilate hears their requests, and though Pilate gives the command, and he says, go and secure the tomb. I love what Pilate says. Pilate says, go and secure the tomb as best as you know how. He, he, he leaves it completely up to them. The best that you can, seal this thing off so that this Jesus thing could be over, so that there's no longer any talk about it. Because if Pilate says it, if Pilate gives the order, then who would dare go against Pilate? Who would dare do something that Pilate says not to do? So the Pharisees and the priests and the guards, they go to secure this tomb the best that they know how, the best that they can. I want us to look at this three ways they try to secure the tomb the best they know how and the best that they can. Number one, they roll a stone in front of it. They roll a stone in front of the tomb because nobody will be able to go in and nobody will be able to go out with this two-ton stone in front of the tomb. The second way they try to seal this tomb and secure this tomb is that they put a seal around the stone. The seal is a sign of Roman authority and Roman power. So basically, Pilate will put his signet ring on the tomb so that anyone who comes by, they will see that this tomb is under Roman authority and under Roman power. And just in case the stone was not enough, just in case the seal was not enough, just in case the stone and the seal did not obey the Roman authority and the Roman power, lastly, they put some soldiers outside of the tomb. Some soldiers to show Roman government power, Roman government authority, so that this Jesus thing could be over. So number one, they got a stone. Number two, they got a seal. And number three, they've got some soldiers. They secured the tomb the best they know how, the best that they could, according to Pilate's authority and Pilate's power. So that this Jesus thing would be over. There would be any more, no more talks about this. And Jesus would not be able to walk out of the tomb and neither would the disciples be able to come in because of how well they secured it. Only, mm, only to find out 
early Sunday morning that above the priests, above the Pharisees, above Pilate, above Roman government, there is yet another authority that is able to operate on this earth that can undo anything that Pilate says cannot be done. There is another authority that they realize that there is a God who can come and intervene and do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ever thought, could imagine, or even think. They find out that there is a God who can step into the midst of all of this and change things up. Now, we don't know really exactly when this occurred, but there's a school that I went to, they gave me a piece of paper, and they were instructing me and helping me understand. And they mentioned to me that it, this happened between somewhere of sunset of Saturday to the sunrise of Sunday morning where they found out that Jesus has resurrected. Someone say resurrection. Resurrection. Now the term resurrection in the Bible, in Greek, is a Greek term called, um, stated anastasis. Can the church say anastasis? Anastasis. Anna is the Greek prefix for the word to, which means again. Stasis is a conjugated verb form which means to stand. So when you think of the biblical resurrection, it's not just the literal term for the dead to come back alive. But anastasis, resurrection, it's literally referencing someone who's been knocked down but gets back up again. Someone who's been shut down but decides that they will no longer stay shut, shut down. Someone who's been quieted but decides that they will no longer keep their mouth shut. Someone who has been down and they come back up. That in the resurrection, God is really sending a message, a personal message to Pilate, a personal message to the priest, a personal message to each and every single one of us, letting us know that you can't stop what God wants to get done. You can't kill the movement of God. You can't control God. You can't limit God. There's nothing that you can do to stop God from moving how he wants to move. In other words, you can nail him to a cross and God will still work. You could put him in a tomb and God still has authority. You could put a stone in front of him and God will roll the stone away. God says no matter what they've done to you, you've got a God that's able to resurrect you with power and with authority. They can't stop God. Reason why they can't stop him because it's not over. As a matter of fact, I want us to see how God shows us and God, how God proves that it's not over. As, as you read the resurrection account, you will notice that the priests and the Pharisees really only wanted to maintain possession of this body. That's all they wanted to do is have possession of this body. Because think about it, as long as they have the body, they can shut down any rumor of a resurrection. Because whenever someone will say that he's alive, all they got to do is be like, hey, let's go to the museum. Let's go to the museum and let me show you the dead body of Jesus on display and prove to you that he's still dead. As long as they have the body, there will be no more talk of resurrection. 
But, but, but they seem to encounter a problem. They seem to encounter a situation. They seem to encounter an issue on Sunday morning. Because for some reason where they thought the body was, it wasn't there. And you know what's crazy? Is that the only explanation that they can come up with is that the disciples stole the body. That's the only explanation that they can come up with. Now, I want us to kind of like really think about this, really think about the ignorance within their argument and their statement. Because this is the same reasoning that they used to originally go to Pilate. And Pilate said, put some guards in front of the tomb. Put the guards in front of the tomb so that the disciples would not steal the body. Now, I want us to understand, when they said put the guards in front of the tomb back then, when they said guards, they were referencing 16 soldiers. 16 soldiers. And here is now the body of Jesus is no, nowhere to be found. But when the body is nowhere to be found under Roman authority, the Pharisees now tell these same guards, go back to Pilate and inform Pilate that the disciples, <laughs> the disciples that we played, the disciples that we were trying to avoid from taking the body, they took the body while you weren't looking. Now, just in case you still don't know what's happening here, this is what you really call throwing someone under the bus. That, 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 that's all it is. They got the soldiers to keep, they got the soldiers to keep the disciples from stealing the body. And now these same soldiers have to go back to Pilate and say, Pilate, these disciples who are scared out of their lives, who are hiding up in the upper room, who are simply fishers of men, who has no weapon, were able to sneak into the cemetery and overpower these 16 Roman soldiers and had enough energy and had enough strength to move this two-ton stone and had even more strength to carry the body out in the middle of the night, left no tracks, and nobody saw them. The Pharisees had to come up with some logical solution, some logical reason that made sense to them as to why the body of Jesus was missing here. And as you read some commentaries, they say that the situation was so bad that what they did is that they sent out an APB Letting everyone know we've got to find the body of Jesus. The Pharisees wanted to find the body. Where have the disciples taken the body of Jesus? Where is the body of Jesus? They're searching. They're searching. And for years, for decades, for centuries, there is still a search for the missing body of Jesus. Do you know what's interesting when it comes to time and history? Time and history, if you give it the opportunity, they are able to uncover everything that we thought was hidden. If you give some historians and some archaeologists some time, they will find almost anything or they found the Rosetta Stone that helps us understand ancient Egyptian writings. They were able to find the lost city of Troy to confirm some Greek mythology. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls from the Qumran community. They found King Tut's tomb with all his golds and riches. 
They even found the bones of dinosaurs that used to roam this earth. They found the tomb of the first emperor of China, King Shenyang, who was guarded by clay warriors and clay chariots and clay horses. They even found the Titanic on the bottom of the ocean floor. But, <laughs> but, the one thing that has yet to be found, the one thing that has yet to be discovered, the one thing they're still searching for, they're still trying to find, they're still trying to make sense of, are the remains of a dead Jesus. Are the remains of a dead Jesus. Come on. Like, can you just imagine the party that will break out in heaven if someone say Jesus is alive and they'd be like, no, nah, let's go check the museum. Let's go to Jerusalem. He's right there. There are his remains. Can you just imagine the joy that Satan will have to show you the remains of a dead Jesus? Every Bible would have to be burned. Every church would have to shut down. Because we would be, what Paul says, the most miserable of all people. But let me tell you, let me tell you why they have yet to find the missing body of Jesus. Let me tell you why it's nowhere to be found. Let me tell you why they're still searching and will continue searching. Because there's no dead body to be found. There's no dead body to be found. For he is alive. He is risen. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Interceding for us. There is no dead body that they will ever find. There, there, there is no dead body, so they could search all they want. They won't find a thing. <laughs> but I want us to look and see how did God do it? How, how, how did God do it? There's a seal that God had to remove. There's a stone that God had to roll away. There's some soldiers that God had to restrain. So when God sees the seal, God says, I don't care what Pilate says. When God sees the stone, God says, no obstacles is an issue for me. When God sees the soldiers, God says, an enemy has nothing to do with what I have to do. Because when God decides to move, he'll break some rules. He'll move the obstacles. He'll handle the opposition. And I need you to know that nothing can stop what God wants to do in your life. No one can stop what God wants to do in your life. Because God is still breaking rules, still moving obstacles, still handling oppositions. Whoa, 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 whoa. Trust me, if you would take a step back and take a look at your life, you can then attest to the fact that God had to break some rules to bless me. God gave me some things I didn't deserve. God put me in places I no longer need to be. God is still in the business of breaking rules to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life. Nothing can stop God. Nothing can stop God. And not only did God have to break some rules, but God also had to move some obstacles because God knows how to make a way where there is no way. God knows how to move mountains. He knows how to bring water where there is no water. God knows how to bring finances where there is lack. God knows how to move some obstacles. And on top of all of that, God knows how to handle the opposition that stands in front of you. God knows how to shut up some lying lips. He knows how to shut down the rumors. He knows the offense that's against you. God knows how to handle the oppositions. We need to know that you and I, we are living proof that nothing can stop God from moving in your life. Because the same thing he did in Christ 
he's working it out and doing it in you as well. They can't stop what God is doing. So the Pharisees, in their attempt to stop what God was doing, number one, they tried to keep the body of Jesus to themselves so that it would not be removed. But the second thing I see in the text is that they wanted to prevent the proclamation of Jesus being alive. In other words, they don't want anyone to hear the fact or the notion that he lives. Let's think about this. The Pharisees can already begin to envision what would happen if people started talking about the fact that Jesus is alive. Like, there's definitely going to be a riot this time. Because think about it. If Jesus resurrects after he got crucified, they're thinking, what are we going to do with him now? What other options are available to us? Like, I mean, think. Jesus um, survived crucifixion. How else can we threaten him? How else can we bring him down? He survived crucifixion. Because many of us, we got to know that there may be some times where we've survived the worst of the worst in life. We've experienced the worst of life. They tried to stop us. They tried to not make us move forward and press forward. But yet, for some way, God still allowed us to survive in the midst of everything that we went through. What can they do to you now? Right? I've been cheated on, I've been lied on, I've been ridiculed, I've been talked about. Like, I've been through all of that, and yet God still brought me through. So what else do you have for me to come against me? So as we continue reading the story, they want to try and limit the proclamation that Jesus is alive because they have no other options to do towards Jesus. They have nothing available towards them. And as we continue in the story, the woman, the sisters, they end up at the tomb because for some reason the men didn't decide to go there. But the angel approaches the woman and they give the woman just one assignment. And they say, go tell everybody that Christ is risen just as he said. Christ is risen just as as he said. Meaning the resurrection of Jesus connects what Jesus said and what actually happened. Because the power of Jesus' resurrection validates every promise that God has made. It secures every word that God has given. So because of the resurrection, I now can have faith in every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. Because if God says it, God will do it. If God promised it, God will perform it. If God foretold it, God will fulfill it. If God says it, it is definitely going to happen. All I got to do is trust him. I got to trust him at his word. I want, I want us to th think about this and kind of look into this a little bit further. Here it is. Pilate gives a word that the body of Jesus is not to be removed. But Pilate's word seems to fall short, seems to hold no weight. But Jesus says, I'm going to rise in three days. And what Jesus says is exactly what happens. Pilate has authority, but his word falls short. Jesus makes a promise, and his word never falls short. Look at this, look at this. This lets us know that there's good news, and there's bad news. 
the bad news, the bad news is this. You can't trust everything people say. You cannot trust everything people say because it's natural for people to overpromise and underdeliver beyond their capability, beyond what they can do. You cannot trust everything people say. But even though I can't trust everything people say, the good news is that I can trust everything that comes out of the word of God. That whatever God says, he's able to do it. He's able to bring me out. He's able to do what he says he will do in my life. But you've got to trust God at his word. I want us to understand that within the resurrection of Christ, we have a security. We have a guarantee that every promise that God makes will be fulfilled. How do I know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me? Because Christ lives. How do I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper? Because Jesus is alive. How do I know that what was meant for evil, God can turn it out and work it for my good? Because Christ lives. How do I know that in the times of trouble, he shall hide me? Because Jesus is alive. How do I know that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength? Because Jesus is alive. How do I know that if I give, it'll be given back to me? Because Jesus is alive. That's why it's not over. He'll complete it, he'll fulfill it, he'll accomplish it because he was raised from the dead. It's not over. It's not over because, number one, he's still doing what he's been doing. It's not over because, number two, he's still fulfilling his word just as he said. As we come to a close, looking at our last point, looking at the text, another reason why the Pharisees and the priests wanted to meet with Pilate to attempt to stop what God wanted to do, what God wanted to accomplish and shut down this rumor of resurrection, shut down this Jesus talk. The text says that they called Jesus a deceiver. In other words, they want to make certain that whenever the name of Jesus is mentioned, the name of Jesus is lifted, that people will shake their hand and be like, I'm not about that Jesus stuff. I don't want to hear about that. I'm not a churchgoer. I don't want to I don't want to know anything about this Jesus. They will say he's a fake. They say he's a phony. They want whenever you mention the name of Jesus, people think about a failed mission. People think about a failed, um, um, a failed Messiah. People think about a failed movement. They want that at the mention of the name of Jesus, you will not be able to declare that there is power in that name. They want that at the mention of the name of Jesus, you will declare that there is no healing in that name. There is no salvation in that name. They want you to declare that he's a fake and he's a phony. They called him a deceiver. But what we are able to realize is that when Jesus is resurrected and the disciples saw him, they began to call him some other name. They called him Lord. They called him Savior. They called him Messiah. They called him King of Kings. They called him Master. They called him Son of God. But what is interesting about all of that, all the names that they gave to Jesus, these were names that were reserved for Caesar. Because the Romans called Caesar Lord. The Romans called Caesar king. The Romans called Caesar savior. The Romans called Caesar the son of God. 
But there's something that the disciples realized. They recognize that there is one that is greater than Caesar. And he is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. Because they realize that at the mention of the name of Jesus, there is power in his name. Let me tell you why it's not over. Because when you call on the name of Jesus, things begin to happen. When you call on the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. When you call on the name of Jesus, every tongue shall confess. When you call on the name of Jesus, the Bible says that demons begin to tremble. When you call on the name of Jesus, sickness is rebuked. When you call on the name of Jesus, children are restored. When you call on the name of Jesus, marriages are restored. Jesus, when I'm sick. Jesus, when I'm alone. Jesus, when I'm by myself. Jesus, when I don't know what to do. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They realize that there's something different about the name of Jesus. Why is it not over? It's not over because there's still power in the name of Jesus. Why is it not over? Because Jesus always fulfills what he says he will do. Why is it not over? Because nothing and no one can stop what God wants to accomplish. It's not over. It's not over. Let's bow our heads. This morning, my encouragement to you is to whenever you think of the resurrection of Christ, to remind yourself that regardless of what has been planned, Regardless of where I am, regardless of what is happening, it's not over. I can stand back up again. I can come back again. Even for some of us who are here this morning, you might think it's over because of how long you've been away from the church. You might think it's over because of where you are, where you believe you are in your position with Christ. This morning, I want to remind you and say, it's not over. I don't care where you have found yourself. I don't care what you was doing last week, last night, last month. The message of resurrection is that it's not over. For at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow. The reason why every knee shall bow is because he's not in the grave. He's alive. And every tongue will confess because he lives. I want us to think about this. Jesus desires a relationship with you to remind you every single day of your life that it's not over. Not to make you a good person, but to bring you back alive. That you can experience what it means to live an abundant life, a better life. That's his desire. It's not making a person good or better, no. It's the life that you're living that you could experience all that he has in store for you. That's why it's not over. 
Because there's still more that he wants to accomplish in your life. There's still more that he wants to do in your life. It's not over. Because he has so much in store. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reminder this morning that we can be reminded that it's not over. Because you're still working. You're still speaking and accomplishing what you spoke. And there is still power in your name. Father, here we are this morning where we are reminded that you still stand on your throne, observant of us all and seeing us all. If you're here this morning and you have yet to release your life into the hands and arms of Jesus, if you have yet to really embrace and understand what it means to live this better life or this abundant life or this new life. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to experience what many of us are experiencing today. That even though things may not go the way that we want it to or we, we think it should go, life is worth the living because he lives. We want to give you that opportunity. So if you can just pray with me, if that's you this morning, Lord, I trust and believe that you love me. I trust and believe that you came down on this earth for me. I trust and believe that you walked this earth for me. I trust and believe that you died on the cross for me. But I also trust and believe that you came out of the grave for me. And today, I want to relinquish my life into your hands. I want to turn from what I thought was life to experience the life that you have for me. And I give my life into your hands. I pray that you would help me, that you would lead me so that I can trust that it's not over. And it's the precious name of your son. Amen. Can we give God some praise? Hey, if, if, if you prayed that prayer, either for the first time or if you're looking to recommit your life and give your life back to Christ, there's a gray card that's here and that says, I prayed that prayer.